HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Ronnie Sue's Chocolates, a confectioner in New York engaged in responsible cacao sourcing from the Toledo district of Belize. Check them out at roni-sue.com. I'm Erin Fairbanks, host of The Farm Report. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Are you feeling like you need a cupcake or a cocktail right about now? If you do, this episode of Tech Bites is for you. Hey, America, it's Thursday, November 10th. Two days after the election, I feel like I have to kind of call that out just because it's a thing, and it's a thing people are feeling and talking about. We're not exactly going to be talking about that today on Tech Bites, the weekly radio show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. But we are going to be talking about cooking and cocktailing kits at home, which can bring warm homemade baked goods like cupcakes and chocolate cake to your door, along with an array of handcrafted cocktails, which to me, desserts and drinks seem to be a good spot to be right now. Today, we have joining us in studio, the founder of Red Velvet NYC and CEO, Agate Asseline Lichten. Hi, thank you for coming. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you. (laughs) And we have a, a longtime listener and frequent visitor, to Heritage Radio and Tech Bytes, April Wattel, who's the CEO and co-founder of a company called Swig and Swallow. Hello. Thank you for coming out in the morning. Thank you for having me. And bringing drink. <laughs> My pleasure. And just because we always say hello to the man in the booth who makes our shipping container conversations into broadcast radio, David Tadashore, our engineer and the Heritage Radio Network station manager. You got it. Here I Studio am. Studio manager. Yes. Okay. How are you? Just hanging on. (laughs) Just hanging on? Yep. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. Keep on hanging on. Keep on keeping on. So we're going to start this episode of Tech Bites like a good meal, like we always do. We go around the shipping container and we talk about apps, apps that we love, old favorites that have been living on your home screen forever, maybe something new that you've discovered. Um, David, 
do you have anything exciting for us? Usually you tend towards music. Yeah, well, how about um, how about the New York Times app and that delightful uh, election probability needle that we were all glued to the other night? That was really fun. Yeah, well, news is, <laughs> news is good. It's important to stay informed, although I think it's a little bit of a rude awakening to discover that a lot of things you thought were right were wrong. Yep. There's not. I, I don't know that there's. <laughs> Sorry for going negative. So <laughs> I, I, I don't know that there's really a huge downer thing, yeah. David. <laughs> no, but and didn't the New York Times make a lot of their content free for the election so that people could log on and read and be informed? I think so. Yeah, but probably like many Americans, I just was compulsively refreshing that one thing. <laughs> Yeah, I was those people on, on Tuesday, and they were compulsively refreshing that as well. Okay, so the New York Times app, is that a paid app or a free app? Um, well, I think normally you get 10 free stories a month or something like that, and then after that you have to pay for additional content. That's mm-hmm. the paywall. Do you feel like you're going to pay for additional content, or are you just riding the free no, app? Just just riding the free wave. Okay. If that if that election meter had gone a different way, would you have been more interested in paying for the news? <laughs> no, it, it's not because of that. I just, I mean, I think the news is. I, I don't know. This is a long conversation, I guess. But okay, maybe maybe it's a long conversation for after the show, or maybe it's a different show, or maybe it's week in review. Maybe <laughs> resurrect it. Well, I will counterbalance David's New York Times app and. My app is called The Big Red Stop. And if you need to give yourself a little bit of a break from news, technology, Twitter, social media, phone calls, texts, this is the thing for you. It allows you to set a period of time that your phone basically gets cut off from cell service, data service, and Wi-Fi. It will allow you to auto post or have sort of an automatic response to different things to let people know you are on a break. And I do think that, you know, in times that seem uh, very intense and where we're bombarded with a lot of information and feeling and opinion, both from the media, the public and friends and family, I think it's really important to remember it's nice to be good to yourself. It's nice to take a break. Sometimes quiet is good. And, uh, The Big Red Stop. So if you need some help making that happen or having it be a definitive, intentional thing, there's a lot of apps out there. This is a pretty good one. It's free. might work. You can download it and cut off your connection to the world after the show. (laughs) That's my recommendation. (laughs) Do you have an app that you like right now? I have to agree with David. I've spent so much time on the New York Times app the last few days. Um, But I recently discovered... um, another app called If This Then That. Um, And it essentially helps you organize the way your phone speaks to the other apps within the system. So it's essentially telling your phone, okay, well, if if you do this, then this should happen. Um, And so it allows apps to speak to one another. Um, At first it was a little intimidating, but now it's kind of great because the phone is kind of doing a lot of work that normally you would have to do. Um, So... Check it out. Can you give us an example of that sort of path? Sure. Um, let's say that you... Uh, so I, I use Slack to communicate with our team. Um, I think a lot of people do. And I feel like Slack's almost like the number one CEO slash founder efficiency communication app. 
It is. It works really <laughs> we, well. Yeah, we get that a lot here. Yeah. yeah. It works really well. So, for example, um, you know, you upload a lot of files to Slack um, because you share files with the rest of your team. And um, it's, it's a really, it's a great tool. And so, essentially, when you're uploading all of those files, they can end up disappearing. So, if you tell if this, then that, I want this file to appear in this folder afterwards, it will actually do that for you. So it does require a lot of work on on the you know, sort of on the front end side in terms of setting it up, but afterwards it, it makes your life a lot easier. Oh, that's very interesting. I've not heard that one yet, and uh, definitely sounds like it's worth checking out. Yes, is it both for Apple and Android? I don't know if it's for Android, but it's definitely for Apple. Okay, is it free? It is. We love free. <laughs> <laughs> April, do you have an app you like? Can I say something that's not exactly an app, but related? Okay. Okay. So um, so I just got the new iOS um, for my iPhone, and they added a feature called Bedtime. Okay. Has anyone seen this? Yeah, I use I've, that. <laughs> I've resisted upgrading my iOS because I'm on not on the iPhone 7, and I'm afraid to get all of those hiccups and, right. and crashy things. So there have been a couple of hiccups, which mm-hmm. are just in part because I'm used to using the phone in a specific way and they've changed certain things about swiping and things and the number of um, uh, digits in your password, for example. But the one thing that I do like about it is they started this thing called bedtime where it basically says in order to get the amount of sleep that you're looking for and to get up consistently and go to sleep consistently, set this so it will automatically give you this nice, um, pleasant sounding alarm when it's time to go to bed and when it's time to wake up. And Honestly, if this were just a picture of something saying go to sleep at 1 a.m. and wake up at 7, I would still do it. But, <laughs> but having it kind of as like my super ego, you know, sitting in my phone, yeah. I've been really consistent with it in the week since I started using it. And it's been wonderful. So I feel like in an environment like the startup environment where you are racing around with you know, creating a new schedule every day, this gives me a lot of consistency, which I kind of, you know, really benefit from. So the bedtime, it's an app that comes preloaded into your phone yeah, with the so. new yeah. iOS. Yes. It's one of those mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Um, so you feel like that has helped you get onto a regular sleep pattern? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, okay. That's and, great. Yeah. And I've thought for You're years, getting more than six hours of sleep though, right? No. So, but that's the interesting, <laughs> no, that's the interesting so thing. So it actually is one to seven is your yes. sleep time. However, okay. I've learned that I'm also very tired this week. So I think I need more than six. <laughs> I, I think I eight, eight, is, eight is typically the reco. It is, but I, I normally do better on six or seven, but I you think, just think that. <laughs> Perhaps, but I'm finding out now. So that's the good news. Well, there's two things to that. One thing is that your what's what your sleep cycle is. Yeah. Um, if you wake up at the end of your sleep cycle, you feel super refreshed. Right. And that's why um, all the sleep studies and experts encourage you to wake up naturally. Not right. so that you sleep for two days, but so that your body wakes itself up when it's finished with the sleep cycle. When you wake up in the middle of the sleep cycle, like with an alarm because you need to get up at seven... When it's interrupted, that's what makes you feel like kind of groggy and more like you didn't get enough sleep. Yep. But they, all they, the internet, they, the <laughs> listicles, they, um, the health and wellness, they uh, say that you need like eight, eight hours of sleep plus and that it's cumulative and that you start to lose like 
cognitive function and memory and all those kinds of things. So, well, I've been doing this for years, so I, I guess I'd be a lot smarter. <laughs> I think it started in college when you woke <laughs> yeah. up very early. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's good. So for the new iOS for iPhone seven, the bedtime, but I'm guessing that you can probably get a bedtime sleep better sleep habits app. Oh, somewhere. I'm sure you can. I'm sure there's a lot yeah. of them. This again, this just felt like a, an additional step because my phone, it was already on there and right. it told me. Right. Well, that's, that's yeah. also discovery. You might not have thought about getting it. So Wouldn't there was have. some spontaneous discovery for you yeah. and there you go. So that's great. Yeah. So that's wonderful to hear. Good luck <laughs> with that. Maybe add an extra hour. And see how <laughs> yeah. You do. I'm, I'm, that's what I'm in the progress pr- process of doing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, news, getting a break from the news and having homemade dessert and homemade drinks at home. Those all sound like really good things for this week. I've been wanting to do the show with these two ladies for a while because um, the meal kit industry in the U.S. is really a, a breathtaking thing to watch. We kind of all peg it with Blue Apron, which came on the scene in 2012, which is really only four years ago. Um, they currently are valued at $3 billion dollars. They're pre-IPO right now. They send 8 million meals monthly, um, which is staggering. Again, these are big, big numbers. The U.S. meal kit market itself is valued at $1.5 billion for this year. This year, one year, 2016. And, um, you know, I'll let uh, Agat talk a little bit about the inception for her company. You know, from since 2012... We have meal kits. We have a lot more meal kit companies. We have Plated, Chef, Amazon, HelloFresh. But then we also start to see some of the specialty meals coming into play, like Purple Carrot, which is all vegan, which launched in 2014. We have Green Chef, which is organic. So, you know, as the market grows, it becomes more specialized within the meal category. And now we're starting to see specialization in home kits on the outside of what traditionally is defined as a meal in this arena. So we have April who's doing cocktails and we have Agate and her sister who are doing desserts. And I, in our earlier conversation, you did talk about you and your sister trying blue apron. And then at the end of the blue apron meal, kind of looking at each other saying like, where's dessert? Yeah, exactly. So, (laughs) which a lot of people probably do. Yeah. I mean, we think so. So Exactly. My sister and I were early adopters of Blue Apron. Um, we both got invited through friends and ended up really enjoying just the convenience of having, you know, these weekly deliveries show up at our door. Um, I think especially anyone who lives in a city who has a busy schedule appreciates the fact that they can actually skip the grocery store for a week and not have to wait in these treacherous lines. So we, you know, having grown up in the gourmet food business, we've always been you know, big foodies. And so we appreciated trying new recipes, new ingredients, hard to source ingredients, and would always talk about what we had made that week. And a common theme was why does, why is there no dessert? Um, we both have a big sweet tooth. And so we kind of started thinking, okay, maybe there's more to this. You know, everyone's doing meal kit and blue apron and plated kind of really, you know, led the, the rest of, of the meal kit companies that have have followed and there's a lot of them but we really felt as though there was there was something missing there was a, a you know we started looking at at the market for home baking in the United States and realized that it was huge 
um, and, and really felt as though if all these people are making dinner, they probably want to make dessert, or at least they want to have dessert, or the option for dessert. And so we started working on it. Um, I left my full-time job almost a year ago, and after doing research for over a year on working on Red Velvet, and we finally decided to launch the company. But yeah, definitely there's a big need. Big so need for dessert. <laughs> and you made it a year, which is great. Congratulations, yeah, because I you. think a lot of things are going to are you know fail in new york city with restaurants it's if you can survive past the one and two year mark then you should be pretty good yes april comes at it from a slightly different way she is a cocktail professional and sort of went through this journey of making things for the industry and then wound up landed making things for people regular people and you actually just started your first full-scale production this week right well, yes. The, we, we just opened it up for purchase this week. Um, prior to that, we had been doing production, but it was initially for our Kickstarter and then, you know, a couple of trial runs to um, see how that went. Yeah. So why, what makes this particular and special? Because we've all seen the bottles of, of mixes on, you know, a shelf in a store. Right. So... Why do I need this delivered to my house? Right. So um, that's an that's an excellent question. So our recipes are mixologist designed. My co-founder, Geito Tsuji, um, runs the cocktail programs at both standard hotels in New York City. So highest volume cocktail programs in New York. Does that include the Boom Boom Room? It does. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, legendary so, cocktail spot in New York City. Great views. Legendary. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so Gates, Gates is the flavor expert. Um, so they're all of his recipes... Um, super delicious. Uh, what you'll see with your standard mixers are even if they're very high quality, there's a lot of dilution. So truly what you receive um, in the bottles that we would send you um, are what you would get in a craft cocktail bar. So these are undiluted. There's, we're not adding water beyond you know, the citrus and the syrups. Um, so really effectively, the main differentiator is mixology, uh, mixologist designed, excuse me, um, we half fill the vessels. So you add the spirit directly to the vessel. So no additional cleanup and literally no measurement required. And what you don't see actually when you're looking at the bottle is there's a dotted line about an inch and a half from the top of the bottle. That's where you fill to. Um, and then you shake it and you taste it and you have your first sample. Um, what you don't know is that that's roughly an ounce and a half of spirit per serving. So there's 10 servings per bottle, meaning that that's the lower limit of what you would actually get in, a, in an actual craft cocktail bar. And then if you fill it all the way to the top with the spirits, that's roughly two ounces of spirit per serving, which is the upper limit. So, um, so what we're doing without giving you jiggers and you know measuring cups and graduated cylinders is we're saying we're giving the opportunity to tinker and make this um, you know, balance to your desires. And then you can adapt the recipes in tons of different ways, herbs, um, fruits, red wine float, add champagne, add soda water, etc. So ease of use. I mean, this is all really an ease of use kind of play. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly with the Red Velvet NYC kits, everything comes in. I made the, I made the rustic Poila inspired apple tart yesterday at home. It was a very good project for a rainy, <laughs> weird Wednesday post-election in New York City. Yes. (laughs) Um, Everything is measured. Everything comes in. um, And you put it all together. It's a very uh, lovely color printed card with all the directions and photography and things like that. Again, you know, with you also, April, you talked about dilution is one of the big issues. But we're also talking about ingredient quality also. And with Red Velvet NYC, 
you're specifically sourcing each individual ingredient, which Absolutely. you don't necessarily get if you're buying a cookie mix in a grocery store. No. Um, yeah, and we're giving you, you know, our kits have anywhere from 8 to 18 ingredients in them. So you're 18 ingredients? Which one has 18 ingredients? Our applesauce cake. <laughs> applesauce cake? I would think that... You could do that with like four ingredients. No, there are about six different spices in that cake. Oh, okay. Anything from pepper to allspice, ginger. So that is um, our kit with the most number of ingredients. So yeah, we, we source about 100 different ingredients. And for us, it's really about the specialty and the local. So we are sourcing things that either you can't find at the store because it just doesn't it's just not available. Lady Fingers is a perfect example of something that's very difficult to find. Yet tiramisu is in most restaurants, at least in New York. Um, and then we're also trying to incorporate local ingredients, especially local from New York. So Balthazar Bakery, we get our bread from there to create brioche bread pudding. So we're really trying to give people, you know, the ingredients that are hard to find, but also giving them, you know, unique things that they can't necessarily find um, if they were just to go to, you know, their local, um, you know, whatever the equivalent of fairway is, and also giving them the right portion. You don't want to buy a pound of almond flour when you're only going to use a quarter of a cup. So, you know, we're also preventing sort of additional waste and anything sort of sitting on your shelf and going rancid. And April, most of the mixers that we see in shops are shelf stable. Right. So they're not, quote, fresh. Right. Are, are there other refrigerated perishable fresh mixers out there right now? There, there are. Um, there are. Um, again, I think that there's there's a couple brands that have really excellent quality, and and I support what they're doing, and they're doing a great job. Um, I, again, I think our differentiator is the fact that you're able to um, you don't have to make these cocktails every single cocktail to order. You pour the spirits in, and you've got and you've got cocktails for ten with this, as well as again the fact that we don't add additional water to make it just drinkable from the bottle. You know, it's really we're trying to deliver the experience for the group of people or the people who want the consistent cocktails repeatedly, um, and that's I mean been really reflected in in the folks who've been approaching us. You know, power professional event planners, um, people planning parties for five hundred, a thousand people. Um, that's been caterers. You know, so that's not a part bars. of your online um, cocktail kit business, but it's sort of a your side. Well, it's, institutional business. Well, I mean, trade business. The the interesting thing is, so when we initially conceived this, it was the intention was to be a a kit that had tools and potentially glassware and garnishes and things like that. Um, what we realized is that people could get all of those things relatively easily, and most people said, "Oh, I don't even." I didn't even think I had to shake this. So if they don't care for the most part, like if they care, they'll have the tools probably. Are you sure they can get all the tools? Because one of the things on Red Velvet NYC is that you can either purchase a larger kit that comes with equipment or right. they do have a shop where you can purchase baking equipment. And, right. you know, for somebody who has an entire storage unit primarily filled with like dishware and cookware, yeah. I mean, I think cookware is pretty accessible, but 
Agat, have you found that people are buying spatulas and bundt cake pans and things like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Our boutique, so the way checkout works is when you put an item in your cart, you're immediately suggested a few different items. And the boutique has both bakeware and accessories. So accessories is anything party related. And uh, the bakeware is is anything you might need to actually create the dessert. So, yeah, we see a lot of people adding on anything from a bunt pan to a nine-inch spring form to a whisk, a heat-proof spatula. I mean, you could um, buy a whisk in a grocery store. You could. But, it's so, but it, even though it is extremely accessible, people are still throwing it into the cart. Absolutely. And I think a a big part of the reason for that is because a lot of our bakers are novice bakers. They don't necessarily have all the tools and equipment at home that they would need to make a beautiful bundt cake. I mean, you could do it in a different pan. It won't look as beautiful. Right. And so having that, you know, option to sort of add something onto your order provides a really seamless experience. So we see a lot of people taking advantage of that. And then you don't have to go through the utensil list and then make an additional trip to a store or multiple stores or another website. Exactly. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of maybe food for thought. Oh, yeah. Um, sorry, I should have ex- I should have explained. So that was initially how we conceived it. Um, and we decided because of the various things that we were putting forth in terms of prototypes and, and you know, bouncing us off of people, what people said repeatedly was the mixers are delicious this solves my problems etc and so we figured considering we have not taken on investment and we are basically trying to fund this you know on our revenue on our on our sales um we were going to start with the thing that people wanted the most and then we would troubleshoot those pieces later so we already have um an agreement with um a really excellent tools provider for the cocktail industry super premium barware. Um, so we have a wholesale agreement with them. We can introduce that at a later date, but the part that I think is most essential for us right now is ensuring that this is this is itself a seamless experience. Christmas might be a nice... <laughs> Christmas and the holiday season might be a nice later date yes, to bring yes, that online. Yes, but yes, yes. that said, yes. we are going to take a little bit of a break and find out who our amazing sponsors are for this show. For those of you listening who don't know... Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, which means we make radio entirely by the support of our underwriters and members like you. So let's find out who our superstars are today. Brought to you by Ronnie Sue's Chocolates, the New York confectioner where chocolate begins at the source. Ronnie Sue's own direct trade chocolate is handcrafted in Belize, made with organic Mayan cacao. We're making the the chocolate down there, bean to bar, and we employ several folks, local folks that have learned the craft of chocolate making. And uh, we actually have a factory in Belize. Um, when I say factory, I mean it's like this big. Kind of like, you know, Heritage Radio. (laughs) We're almost in a shipping container. Ronnie Sue loves to geek out about chocolate. Come to her atelier on the Lower East Side and get schooled. Sign up for a hands-on make-and-take chocolate truffle class and let Ronnie Sue show you how it's done. Stop by to watch the action in their open production kitchen and enjoy a few chocolates in the secret backyard garden. 
Take some confections home or shop online at roni-sue.com. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly radio show where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today that intersection is at home cooking delivery kits going beyond the meal to cocktails and dessert. And I'm in studio today with the founders of two companies. One is Red Velvet NYC, which is a dessert baking pastry delivery kit <laughs> yep <laughs> and swig and swallow which is cocktail delivery and so april the uh mixologist and founder is going to actually give her wares a go for us <laughs> she has the moscow mule mix so yeah just to give people an idea you place the order on their website which is swig and spelled out A-N-D, swallow, S-W-A-L-L-O-W.com. And they have an assortment of classic cocktails. And what you get is, because we opened up the box earlier before the show, you get a insulated container with ice and a large plastic bottle that says Moscow Mule. And the mix is not filled all the way to the top. There is a dotted line at the top, and the idea is that you pour the liquor in up to that line, shake it, and then you got drinks, which is great. And I can see this being train travel, tailgating, <laughs> picnicking, opera in the park, beaching, all that kind of stuff. I could even see people doing it on airplanes in a bygone era where you were allowed to bring mm -hmm. more than four fluid ounces of liquid through. <laughs> mm -hmm. the or we sell it to the airline. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, walk us through this. What's in the Moscow Mule? And, and yes, so this is, here? so the Moscow Mule Mix, um, we are calling it Moscow Mule Mix, not not Mule Mix, because this is a better known cocktail as the Moscow Mule than it is as just a mule, which is a category of drinks that comprise um, fresh ginger syrup, fresh lime juice. I didn't know that. So I didn't know that there was a category of drinks <laughs> called the mule, which yeah. is ginger based. Yes. Okay. So that's why it says the Moscow Mule, which is traditionally made with vodka. Um, I'm actually adapting this. We're going to do a Kentucky Mule with Maker's Mark um, bourbon, um, one of my go-to spirits. Um, so we're going to Bourbon's better for early daytime drinking? Yeah, you know, I just figured, you know, again, considering the events in the past couple days, this okay. is a <laughs> yeah, good. great direction to go in. I should have thought through this a little bit better and brought pizza because <laughs> we're at Roberta's. We'll but. take small sips. Okay. Pizza later. Um, but yeah, so we fill the vessels. Um, th they're all 32 ounces at this moment. Um, so it's a quart, which makes 10 uh, cocktail bar size cocktails um, once you've poured it out. Um, and so basically we, um, we send them with 15 ounces of the mixer, basically leaving a lot of space for you to add the spirit directly to the bottle. So I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to add the bourbon. Um, there's a, um, a side panel that says add spirit to the dotted line, shake, taste, and add more if desired. This enables you to um, mix it up, see if it's the proper amount, or if you'd like more spirits, you can do that. Um, and then if you decide not to add more spirits, you add chilled water. All of these truly um, benefit from some dilution. So um, if you do not add water to the bottle itself, you should serve it over ice or shake it and strain it. Um, so that's, you know, the ideal cocktail is about 20, 25% um, dilution either through ice or through chilled water. So I'm just going to mix this up right now. And there are only three of us in here, so we will and, not be drinking. And David. Yeah, he says he's got a cold. But again, oh, the ginger okay. syrup will be good right. for that. Yeah. April, what's the shelf life on this? 
So we use a process called HPP, um, which is similar to pasteurization, but instead of using heat or light, it uses pressure. Uh-huh. So it, um, as long as it's refrigerated and unopened, it stays good for um, up to three months. Oh, great. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I've added the spirit. I'm just going to give it a little shake, and then I'm going to pour a little taste to see if either of the um, other ladies in here would like to say if it's enough spirit or... So again, there's no dilution here. So remember, I'm going to add a splash of soda water and add a little water to the mix as well. So it's going to be super concentrated. It tastes delicious. Good. Yeah. Good. Very good. Great. Um, all right. So going to add a little dilution here. Oops. All right. So added a little chilled water to the vessel. I'm going to pour out our drinks, and then I'm going to top it with a splash of soda. And that's, you know, your classic mule um, is actually made with ginger beer. Um, we find that this is the best way to preserve that um, truly fresh, delicious, spicy ginger flavor without having to add other things to preserve the carbonation as well, which is you have to do with the ginger beer. So, so you add ginger beer, but it's not technically a float. Um, ex- Excuse me. No, in this case, so in this case, um, basically most people who produce ginger beer, they're trying to get that really true fresh ginger flavor, and they're also trying to get the carbonation. So instead of using ginger beer for this, we've used a fresh ginger syrup, which is, again, you look at any of the craft cocktail places, the places that serve these, do this the exact same way. Um, And to get the effervescence, we're adding a splash of soda water. What's the difference between a splash and a float? Because a float is yeah. when you pour a sparkling something. My experience has been typically champagne, like onto the top of the cocktail, mm-hmm. and it makes sort of this fizzy layer on the top that you drink through because you don't mix it in. Right. Um, so yeah. So that typically, you know, if you see like a red wine float, for example, um, you would see it. Thank you. The, you're welcome. On the surface, here you go. Thank you. Welcome. On the surface of the cocktail. So you would see it sitting there. I mean, really, ultimately, we would want this to, to uh, incorporate the effervescence. Into I, the I feel like this is, a, I think this is the first time we've had cocktails on Tech Bite. And it's almost been like <laughs> a year and a half. So cheers. I feel like we have to like have an official cheers Oops. to like. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you cheers. for having us. Thank you. Cheers, David. <laughs> Heritage Virtual Radio. Cheers. Lady this on is delicious. Good. Talk radio. Lots of ginger. <laughs> it's great. Good fall flavor. Yeah, it is very fresh. It's delicious. And it's not too it's not too strong at yeah. all. Okay, delicious. <laughs> delicious. So this is pretty easy. Um, and delicious. So how many how many cocktails do you have right now on offer? So we have six and the way we came to these is, you know, we th- we thought about we've got a million of our own recipes, but we wanted to make better versions of ones that are truly in high demand and that there's no good, no good home solution for. So we have six. It's the Moscow Mule, Margarita, and Mojito. Um, we've got the Cosmo, the Sour, and the Daiquiri. And I think what we are working out right now is how to convey how very many adaptations you can make with a single bottle. Because you can make adaptations by switching the spirit. You can make adaptations by you know taking the sour mix, for example, Whiskey Sour, Tom Collins, French 75, Vodka Collins, New York Sour with a red wine float to your float point. There's millions of things you can do with these, and we're trying to best figure out how to convey that without overwhelming people. There is a break point between giving people information and then giving them too much information 
um, yeah. in a category um, like we've talked about with baking, most of your customers are novice bakers, so having too much information might be kind of scary. But you do have the glossary section of redvelvetnyc.com. We do, yeah. And I hope that people use that. I mean, we, you know, we try to explain things that are common baking terms, and we really try to break them down. So the glossary is images with an actual definition of you know, exactly what that process is. Um, and you know, uh, it would be great to find out actually how many clients use that. Mm. But, you know, we get occasional questions. We get occasional calls. Um, our phone number is listed very clearly on the website and I answer the phone and we get a lot of, you know, calls or what should I do? Or, you know, I didn't know about this or anything like that. So, so in terms of tracking customer use and customer utilization, you raise an interesting point. You can see the number of people who visit that page of the website. Definitely. Um, but then you don't necessarily know how many are using it just generally or actual customers or actually making the recipe while it's happening. Right. That's, I mean, that's something we have to dig further into. We're actually looking into using another plugin on Shopify that actually tracks the exact movement of what a customer does. So their actual purchase pattern behavior or maybe just their browsing pattern behavior. It's just an in deeper look into sort of what that person is doing when they're on the site, where exactly they're clicking on the page, um, how many, you know, obviously we can see how many pages people are looking at, how much time is spent on each page, but um, this is even a further look, which is, it's great for us. It's maybe a little bit scary, but. <laughs> <laughs> so when we talk about food tech, you know, a lot of the business and tech industries don't quite focus so much on the deliciousness of what you wind up having as your real life experience. But on the tech business side, it is very much about how much data you can gather and harness about your user base. Sure. So you're pretty far along. You've been up and live and selling for a year. Yeah. That's one of the next steps you're taking. What is what is something, and for the benefit of, of April, who <laughs> just went live like three days ago or something mm -hmm. yeah. like that, yeah. to the public? Yeah. Um, what are some of the things that really surprised you? Maybe hypotheses that you made that weren't correct or something you thought would never work but wound up being hugely successful? So there's a few different things. I think that, you know, one of the most important things that we always make sure to listen to customer feedback. Um, we care a lot about customer service. And I don't think that having not necessarily been on the other side as much as I am now, didn't realize how vocal customers can be. But in the age where we can order something online and we can quickly leave a review um, that can either be anonymous or, or not, people are very vocal about what they loved and what they didn't love as much. Yep. And Yes. <laughs> yes. So people you know, are very vocal. The internet, very, the internet yes. has taught us, if nothing else, that yes. everyone is a critic and all yes. voices count. This is, this is true. And so I think be very mindful of that and just make sure that you know, for us, customer service is extremely important. We want to make sure that everyone has a great experience. And if they don't, we want to make sure we fix it. Um, so that's definitely something to keep in mind. And I think that, you know, um, people are going to tell you a lot of things. I think take it with a grain of salt. When you see a pattern, make a change. Mm. Um, I think that's important as well. Um, I think for us, one of the biggest surprises 
Um, it's funny. We, my sister and I said to each other when we first launched, we said, we're going to become a cupcake company. And cupcakes do extremely well. <laughs> and we thought some of the classic desserts, sort of something that you would see in a restaurant, like a creme caramel or a chocolate pot de creme, sort of a classic French desserts that, you know, you might not feel like, oh, I can make this at home, but you can. So those single serve desserts that, you know, look really beautiful, they present themselves really nicely. Um, we thought those would do just as well as sort of the comfort food style dessert, um, like a big coffee cake or um, like an applesauce cake that has the 18 ingredients in it. And those are, you know, the brioche bread pudding. So family style desserts are what do really well. Um, people enjoy, you know, at the end of the day, for us, baking is really about bringing people together. So people enjoy sharing that experience and kind of having those, you know, this serves eight to 10 people desserts. Um, so I, I think that you know, for us, we, we constantly come out with new desserts. Um, it's very seasonal based, but it's also very much based on what's doing well. So we follow people's taste preferences and we say, okay, let's strategize for the next three to four months and figure out what is going to actually sell well. And we feel like we've really caught on to what people want, what flavors they enjoy. Um, and we're, and we're just going with that. We're letting people sort of tell us this is working and, and kind of running with it. And now going into your second year, you'll start to have year-to-year comparisons where yes. you'll be able to say, this is a fall trend, this is a holiday trend, this is a Valentine's Day trend, because you'll be able to track back what happened versus this is a new thing or this Definitely. is a you know, summertime thing. Definitely. People like this one. It's popular all year round. This is only popular at this time of year. Sure. Yeah, no. And, and you know, we... You know, we had our strawberry desserts on the menu in the summer, um, and now you know strawberries aren't the most popular. Pumpkins the most popular. So we had a pumpkin cake last year when right after we launched, and then we actually came out with pumpkin cupcakes to accompany the cake, and those are flying off the shelf. So the whole pumpkin spice thing <laughs> is breathtaking and slightly <laughs> distressing all at the same time. The sort of tsunami of pumpkin it's- spice that has crashed yes. <laughs> onto everything. Yes, definitely. I mean, people are obsessed with pumpkin spice. So if that's what they want, we will give it to them. <laughs> there you go. So April, as a, you know, somebody who is, you know, very focused on the quality of the product and navigating that and navigating ease of use and wanting to give people um, ways to, you know, personalize their experience and make it even better. A lot of what she just talked about is back-end analytics Mm -hmm. and data. Are you even thinking about that yet? I mean, I I know you're thinking about it sort of in the back of your mind, but Mm -hmm. at the forefront, are you packaging mixes and packing up boxes and thinking about that? Is the tech tech data analytic algorithm piece in the back up and running? Is that the next person you hire, an IT person or a tech person or... Uh, it's an interesting question. This is hugely important to us, and I look at our analytics at least every other day to see how web traffic is coming in. I mean, we have a really interesting position because for whatever reason, people are very excited to talk about this. So we've been getting a lot of press, but we weren't available for sale officially until this week. So we don't have any data saying this is the press piece that happened. This was what happened as a result. Or this is really, the most popular. Exactly. Um, that being said, we I saw mean, 12. 
Six of them were this. <laughs> It'll happen fast, though. <laughs> In three months, you'll know. Yeah, so so I think additionally, you know, we've had a number it's of... the holidays, though. And the holidays right. have to be an anomaly to a certain right. extent from the right. rest of the right. year. Well, what I can say is of the six SKUs, just when we are telling people about them, the two that seem to be the least called right now are the daiquiri and the mojito. The interesting thing about this is if you look at the cocktail world, so if you look within the trade, the daiquiri is the darling of the cocktail world at the moment. Does that include the public or is that the professional? Professional. Okay. So that's different. Right. But these are, again, these are among the top 12 most Googled cocktails in the country. And there's between three and four million searches for the top 10 cocktails on a monthly basis. So the point is, is did you you use that information to decide what your lineup was going to be? Absolutely. That's fascinating. That's very interesting. And, and the reason being, of course, there were some spirit-forward cocktails, Manhattan's Old Fashions, right. also on there. That's all spirit, so we'd be shipping you a plastic bottle with a bitter empty the bottle. Side. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think that's really smart. We do a For lot a of research. Yeah, I think it's it's really smart to go to the internet to see what people are searching for. We we use Pinterest as you know one of our biggest oh, tools for research. Hmm. So, yeah, absolutely, yeah. figure out. That, that you're totally onto something. I, I think where the ch- some of the challenges with us is our bigger orders. Again, the the ones that are you know hundreds or thousands of dollars per order. Those are all kind of like assisted sales, meaning that people come to us because they know that we have you know f- combined forty years experience doing this, and so they say, well, what can I do with this? And so then there's you know hundreds of options as opposed to one option. So we just have to see a little bit more but absolutely um if things are not selling we will no longer be making them. We have um several uh upcoming innovations so smaller bottles, summer offerings. I think it would be a really funny surprise and delight thing for people to find in their box if you did have an empty plastic bottle that was the martini. And it was one line that said, you know, like fill to here with your favorite vodka. Yeah. Splash, you know, your yeah. favorite, you know, vermouth here. Yeah. You know, and then do that. It's sort of just yeah. like a funny yeah. I don't know. Something like that could just be funny and make people laugh or, you know, if it's the ratio or for like a Negroni, which is one of my favorite cocktails, which just mm-hmm. The measurements, maybe even Campari would underwrite it as well, a fun thing, but that would be, you know, <laughs> you open up the box, like surprise, <laughs> surprise and delight. <laughs> so, so the funny thing is there were various ideas that I combined that ultimately ended up with this being the, the, the final idea. Um, and one that I'd pitched to Gates, again, my co-founder. Uh, about probably about a year ago was um, basically just that, which was a measuring device that was on the side of the vessel that was not a jigger, was not a measuring cup. Um, and the punchline is that I named it Jigga What? <laughs> <laughs> so that would just be incorporating that and then getting me sued by Jay-Z. <laughs> you could spell it different. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if our listeners are interested by this conversation because they're interested in having... Uh, delicious food things and drink things delivered to their home or if you're in a startup situation and you're interested in learning from people trials tribulations success strategies there's a great episode that we did a few weeks ago episode 76 it's called get mentored it's with uh, specialty food delivery one company called try the world which is a subscription and pantry uh, service where they send you foods from around the world one is called umlicious It focuses on Asian food, um, both ingredients and kits, uh, as well as content. 
it's it's a similar similar footprint. It's a similar market. Um, they're in different life stages of their business, but some interesting, perhaps, details and ideas for you two ladies and anybody out there who's also in a startup situation. I bring that episode up to you ladies in the studio right now, specifically because one of the most challenging things about um, growing businesses like these, especially when you're in the startup stage and you don't have money to spend on advertising and you are relying entirely on word of mouth. One thing that I've learned in my time in marketing, specifically from guilt, is that guilt always had a very, uh, very thorough and strong point of view about making sure when somebody opened up the guilt box, there was a bunch of stuff in there, not just the thing that they ordered, but a thank you card, a card about a promotion, something from another vertical, something you might like. Um, And you opened it up and you had all these things in addition to what you ordered that would hopefully foster a next step. And all of the companies that I've just mentioned, um, Alicia's Try the World, Red Velvet NYC, Swig and Swallow, you're all hyper-specific. And it might be interesting to get together with some of your fellow online food catalog type businesses because if somebody's ordering a Korean meal kit and they opened it up and it had a spice cake offer and a cocktail offer, that might kind of put it together. And likewise, if you know somebody's opening up a cocktail kit, might want to eat some food with that. Mm-hmm. You know, just saying. <laughs> no, absolutely. Gentle suggestion mm-hmm. or, you know, have drinks with that that, you know, that's a way where, you know, they're in your same boat, but you're separate and unique enough that you're not competing with each other, but you're dealing with the audience who's ordering high-end, interesting, discovery-oriented, cook-at-home, create-at-home product, and they're open to that. So, sure, you know, it might be an episode worth listening to. I'd be happy to uh, make connections, and if anybody listening is in the same boat and they want to kind of get in on that, feel free to send us an email at techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org and we can make that happen. That's great. I think uh, for us, partnerships have been extremely helpful. We find that anyone who is already used to or comfortable with the idea of you know dinner arriving at their doorstep is also really excited about dessert arriving at their doorstep. So it's a qualified audience. You're 100 percent right. It's mm-hmm. that is the this is very similar target demographic. Mm-hmm. Um, people who really want to seek out new experiences um, and add something to their you know nightly ritual or weekly mm-hmm. ritual, whatever it is. Um, yeah, definitely. One of the things that Eric, who's the founder of Umlicious, mentioned uh, was that his initial his initial hypothesis was that he thought there would be a lot of people, you know, from New York City and urban areas. But it turns out it's a lot of people who are outside those places because inherently we have so much available and so many options. But once you sort of get outside you know, the city, the 24-hour city with everything available, you know, people are interested in that and maybe it's harder to find, so. It is. We found the exact same thing. Our biggest markets are sort of directly out of major, outside of major cities. Adjacent Um, bedroom communities. Yeah, Virginia, uh, right outside of D.C., Georgia, area around Atlanta, uh, Illinois, so right outside of, you know, Chicago area, um, Pennsylvania, 
And you, yeah, definitely. We found the exact same thing. So people who really um, crave those, you know, sort of unique flavors, unique ingredients, hard to find specialty things that you can't necessarily find. And I think as New Yorkers or anyone living in a big city, working long hours, you're really busy, but you also have everything at your fingertips. So we're spoiled here as opposed to in other places where they really, they really crave those things. So before we go, I'm going to ask each of our guests for a little piece of actionable advice for listeners at home. We always close the show with advice. April, what are the top maybe 10 items that you need to have at home to have a solid home bar? Ooh, that is a tough question. I I mean, to plug my company, obviously, if you want shaken cocktails, truly this and and ice um and i say that you know partially tongue-in-cheek but that's that's our that's our intention um but besides that i mean i would say ice is a huge is a huge piece of this oftentimes people have freezer burned ice so you have to make sure that you clean out your freezer to ensure that that when that gets diluted into the cocktail it's it tastes right um i would say a shaker is an indispensable item i would also say jiggers or some known volume measuring device hugely important um i think if you are interested in um garnishes either a sharp paring knife and obviously a cutting board and or a swiss peeler uh, are are really important items because the oils um that you express over the surface of a cocktail will completely change the character um you know 90 percent of what we perceive oh, wow. to be flavor is actually aroma so that's hugely important and what is specifically a swiss peeler it is um it's also known as a y peeler so it's basically instead of a potato peeler the blade actually runs um the uh perpendicular right so it's um it's basically if you made a y with your fingers and then you put um a bar kind of touching the tops of both fingers that's mm-hmm. what it looks like um and that gets a really nice uh wide swath of peel um and it's also just ergonomically a lot easier to use especially if you're going to be doing this repeatedly so i would say that's also really important so ice shaker ice shaker jigger or slash measurement mm-hmm. tool Pairing knife, cutting board, and Swiss peeler, Y peeler. Right. Um, I would also on there throw in some Angostura bitters. Um, okay. Bitters adds complexity um, uh, in, in a way that, um, you know, cocktails that lack that or just kind of basic. It really, really brings out those flavors. Um, and then I would also say a strainer. So a Hawthorne strainer will get you through almost every application. That's the one with the spring. Strainer with a spring. Yeah, so there's two main types of... Because when you say strainer, I'm thinking the little wire mesh thing that I have a small one, I have a vegetable strainer. I'm thinking about, you know... Yeah, there's a cocktail strainer. Um, So the intention is to prevent ice and or any other solids in the shaker from coming out. Oh, is that the little sort of half moon shape thing that rides on the side of the shaker? It, it, you put it on the top of it. Um, yeah. There's a bunch of different forms. Okay. Um, but typically they have three to four little sort of ear tabs that, that and then place them on top. it's on the top and it almost has like perforated holes in exactly. it. Exactly. Okay. But so there's two types. I'm with you. If you had to do one, I would say the Hawthorne strainer, not the julep strainer. See, I don't know what, I didn't know what 25% of your list meant, which to me, <laughs> and I'm pretty well informed yes. as far as food and drink yes. goes. Yeah. You, you might need a, a glossary and, and definitely <laughs> maybe think about getting that, that supply store up and running sooner mm-hmm. than later. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a solid start. 
I will ask you, because cupcakes seem to be one of your top, top sellers, what's yeah. the secret to making good cupcakes? Depends what cup- cupcake you're making. Okay. So let's talk about our namesake cupcake, Red The Red Velvet. Velvet. So there's a few different sort of secrets to making a good red velvet cupcake. Um, buttermilk is one of them. Buttermilk is my favorite ingredient to bake with. Makes everything super moist and fluffy. Um, and it, it just, I think, enhances the flavor of baked goods. We put buttermilk in almost every single one of our cakes um, or cupcakes. So that is definitely something you should have on hand. The shelf life is very long. You can also freeze it, um, which is most people don't know that, but... I freeze it all the time. Um, the baking soda and white vinegar combination creates um, a little science experiment, actually. So you put baking soda and white vinegar together, and it bubbles and foams. Um, Is this like the school project where you make the volcano? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's amazing. I think my um, sister did that when she was in fourth grade. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. So the baking soda counteracts the buttermilk, and the white vinegar actually enhances the red food coloring. So we use red gel paste, which is a more concentrated form of your typical sort of red dye that you get in that tiny little, you know, droplet. Um, You know, you get like that four pack of colors at the store, you kind of drop a few drops. We use red gel paste, which is hard to find, um, but it's just a more concentrated form. So your red velvet actually looks red. Um, And then cocoa powder. We use Dutch process. Um, We actually use Coco Barry, um, which is a really great brand from France. So it's a combination of, you know, the quality of ingredients and also sort of the steps um, to making sure that the cupcake rises the way it should. And also red velvet, if it's not... um, if you don't stir the uh, oil and sugar in the proper way or for long enough, you can get this little crust on the top of your cupcake, um, which is really not great because it's kind of like this hard top with this fluffy sort of interior. Um, so it's really all in the process, and we really try to, to point out those steps uh, to our home bakers. Okay. If you are <laughs> interested in getting some of those red velvet cupcakes delivered, you want to go to redvelvetnyc.com. You can follow them on Twitter at redvelvet underscore NYC and on Instagram at redvelvetnyc. If you want cocktails, go to swig, S-W-I-G, and swallow, S-W-A-L-L-O-W.com. You can follow them on Instagram and Facebook at swig and swallow and at Twitter at swig underscore swallow. If you want to get in touch with Tech Bytes, we are on Facebook, Tech Bytes HRN, which is also our handle for Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at techbytes at heritageradionetwork.com. We would love to hear from you. We would love for you to go to iTunes and subscribe and leave us a great review. If you really, really love us and you love heritageradionetwork.org and you think it is important for all of us to have a place to talk about food and what's important to us and our food systems and how we fix them, preserve them, and make them better and celebrate them, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, and I don't know, throw us what you spent on your bar bill last weekend. That'll help us make (laughs) more radio. (laughs) If you designate your donation to Tech Bytes, I will send you the podcast potluck PDF cookbook. Because winter's coming and it's nice to stay home and entertain with friends. I'm Jennifer Leutzi. This is Tech Bites. Thanks for listening.
for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.